0: Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. I recently read this article uh, that just shattered my view of Pixar. Pixar, this article said, uses the same storyline in all of their films. And when I read that, I'm like, no way, not a chance. The multi-billion dollar company does not use the same plot line for every single one of their movies. But the guy goes on to say in the article that the plot line's the same. Within the first 10 minutes of the story, you're introduced to the characters, and there's a loss that happens. Something, someone gets lost, someone gets uh, misplaced, a loss happens, and the story drops. And the rest of the movie is a redemption story of being restored or being found again or being renewed. And I thought, it sounds nice, but no way does this company just cut and paste every movie and just change the characters. But then he gave examples. Finding Nemo. Within the first few minutes of the story, Nemo gets lost and... Throughout the rest of the story, I mean, there's other themes, of course, friendship, teamwork, overcoming, victory, but it's a redemption story about Nemo. Finding Dory, same storyline. You know, Dory with the cute little eyes in the beginning, loses her parents, and redemption story. And then he goes on to say other movies, like Up, Carl, and his wife Ellie. Beautiful love story within the first five minutes, and then she passes away. And the rest of the movie is about his redemption story about becoming a man, Monsters, Inc. Boo gets lost in the monster world, and the rest of the story is about her finding her way back home. My favorite movie, The Good Dinosaur, Arlo, within the first five minutes, he gets separated from his family, and the rest of it is a redemption story about how he gets restored. And when I heard this, I was like, I thought all these movies were different, but it's the same. They just copy and paste the storyline, change the characters, and it's the same story. But this storyline is not something that Pixar invented. It's a, actually, it's a very ancient storyline. It's a biblical storyline. It's the storyline of Ruth. See, if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, we've been going through the story of Ruth. And if you don't know the story, in the first paragraph in the book of Ruth, we're introduced to this woman named Naomi, who has a husband and her two sons. Famine happens in the land, so they travel to a foreign nation to seek refuge. And within the first paragraph, she loses her husband, her sons get married, but she loses one son after another son, and now she's left by herself with one of her daughter-in-laws. Then the first paragraph, she's here. Bam, down here. And the rest of the story is about her redemption. It's a redemption story. I just could not believe that Pixar would steal from the Bible and not even give them any money. Now, throughout the redemption narrative of Ruth, there's lots of themes that we'll be hitting and we'll be going through. A few weeks ago, Pastor Scott spoke on... The theme of (laughs) you know sometimes as a pastor we pause for effect and suspense and laughter and drama a few weeks ago pastor scott spoke on the issue of reputation i was about to say relationship i was so close reputation and so, and today I get the joy of sharing about the sovereignty of God. Now, I have a quick definition here. The sovereignty of God is this it's that God is free and able to do all that he wills, that he reigns over all creation, and that his will is the final cause of all things. Sovereignty of God essentially means that what God wills will happen. And nothing in all of creation is outside of His will. And nothing in creation can stop His will from coming to pass. The sovereignty of God simply means that every atom, every person, every molecule, everything in all of creation is not exempt from the will of God. It's that God is in control of all things at all times and all places. That's what it means to be sovereign. And as believers... This is something we all accept. I mean, if God is God, and of course God is God, then what can stand in his way? If God really is God, who can stop him from accomplishing what he wants? Who can stand in his way to thwart his plans if God is God? Yet, what does it mean for us? Like, okay, God's sovereign, He's in all power, authority, stands in the position of all power. But how does that affect my life? What role does God's sovereignty over all creation play in my life? What what difference does God being sovereign make in my life today? And that's some of the things I wanna deal with. And first thing I wanna say is this. The sovereignty of God, God's sovereignty is our joy in this life. God's sovereignty is our source of joy in life. What do I mean by this? Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. When Naomi and Ruth go back to Bethlehem, they're just standing around, not much to do. They don't have anything, right? They just got back from the foreign land. And so Ruth asks her mother-in-law, hey, can I go out and forage for some food? And Naomi says, yeah, sure, go ahead. And this is what happens in Ruth chapter two, verse three. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, let's pause here for a second. Just imagine, this is Ruth we're talking about here, foreigner in a foreign land. And, And are you telling me that she just... You know, it happens to like, oh, there's a field over here. I'm just going to go here, start gleaning. And that field just so happens to be the field of the one person that's going to redeem her later on in life. What are the chances of that happening? Are, are you telling me that it's just by coincidence that she happened to, you know, make a left turn down ball, make a right turn on Lincoln and ended up here? No way. This is the divine plan of God. This is the sovereignty of God. This is Proverbs 19.6 in action. When Proverbs 19.6 says this, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. This is the sovereignty of God in the mystery of how God accomplishes it directing her steps, guiding her to the place of divine appointment to meet with Boaz and to connect. This is why I say the sovereignty of God is our source of joy in life because you might be wandering right now. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I'm just going through life, going from this job to this place to this relationship to that person to this thing. However, Within the sovereignty of God, within the authority of God, we believe that He is guiding our steps and directing us to where He desires us to go. That's the sovereignty of God. Yes, it's a mystery. I don't understand how God can direct free-willing agents in the steps that they go, but that's what He does. And this is why I say the sovereignty of God is our joy. Friends... Even a couple months ago, me and my wife, we, we transitioned out of the church we were at. And, you know, I, it was poor pastor, dude. Like, you know, a pastor without a church is like a kid without cake on his birthday. It's just sad. And we were just wandering around. We didn't have a church to go to. We we're just hopping here, hopping there. And we we're just wandering, you know, didn't think nothing of it. And then, you know, we lived down the street and, and Scott's church is here, so we're like, hey, you want to go to Scott's church? I'm like, okay, why not? You know, we don't got any, anywhere else to go. So we just go, we sit, and we didn't think nothing of it. And then Scott, you know, that's when men's fight club camping was going on, and Scott asked me to preach. And I'm like, okay, sure, I'm on break. I have nothing to do. And so then we share, and then we talk, and now I'm here, and I'm a pastor here, like, Looking back, was that God's sovereignty just directing our steps and guiding us? The Christian says yes, because we believe that God stands in all power and authority. He is able to direct us and guide us by his wisdom and will and his love. But from our perspective, it's just like, I, I don't know. Like, I was just here. I just visited. I went on a camping trip. And now I'm serving with this really, really nice pastor. I mean, Pastor Scott's... He's like one of the best pastors that I've ever worked with. You know, this morning, I, I love the donut old-fashioned. The old-fashioned donut's the round one. And he knows this. And he brought donuts to church this morning. He's like, I got this donut for you. And I felt so loved. I mean, like, <laughs> like, to, like when I buy donuts, I've never done that. I never, like, went out of my way to get a specific donut that a person liked and, like, here. And I felt so loved. I'm like, oh, thank you, God. And, I mean, I should have said, thank you, Scott, but, you know, thank you, God, (laughs) you know. Guys, this is why I say the sovereignty of God is our joy. Because even though we might be wandering around in life, God is directing us. God is at work. God is moving us. God is pulling us in ways and just guiding us. We're like a beach ball in the ocean of God's work and God's will. And, And, you know, sometimes here's the tough thing. When we're in it, you don't know it. When we're, when we're like wandering, it's just like, dude, this stinks. Like, I'm just wandering. Ruth, I don't think she was happy like, oh, I have no food. Let me go forge over here in some guy's field. Or let me just go see what I could pick up. I don't think she was full of joy and happiness doing that. It's only because we could see that story, we know the ending, and we look back and say, oh, God was in control. And that's why we can say that God's sovereignty is our joy because we can say when he's in control there, even in our life, he is in control because his sovereignty does not change. This is why Philippians 4, four says, rejoice in the Lord always. It doesn't say rejoice because your life is going good or because good things are happening, but rather your source of joy is in the Lord. Again, I will say Rejoice. We rejoice because we are in the Lord. Our source of joy is in his control, in his sovereignty, in his guidance, in his direction. This is why we're so happy. My friend James, I'll call him James. James isn't his real name, okay? It might be, but it's not. Okay. I I met him about a year and a half ago, goes to this game school as Evan. And, And recently, we're just hanging out. We got to know each other pretty well. And he was sharing, he's like, man, why are you always so happy? And he's like, it's because you're a pastor, huh? And then you're always surrounded by church people, and and they're always happy. And so you live in like this this joyful bubble, and that's why you're so happy. And my friend James works, he's a business owner, and he deals with crazy people. I'm like, that's why you're so sad. But I wanted to share, like, no. It's not because I'm surrounded by beautiful people all the time and get to work with super good pastors that make a joyful environment. Yeah, that helps. But in the grand scheme of things, God is in control. God works for our good. God directs our steps. Even though we don't see it or know it, God is at work. And that's why we can be joyful even today. Think about Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the herd, and there be no herd in the stall. Pause for a second, okay? If there's no fig trees, if the fig tree does not blossom, that means there's no figs next season. It's not like you could go from like, oh, you know, Whole Foods doesn't have it. I'll go to Aldi's or I'll go to like Whole Foods or I'll go to, you know, Albertson's. No, no, no. There's no markets back then. The fig tree does not blossom. There's no figs next year. Fruit, if no fruit be on the vine, there's no wine, okay? There's no drinks. There's no grape juice. If there's no fields and the fields yield no food, It means that even if there's no food, this is a collapse of society right here. This is a collapse of food. This is the destruction of civilization. No food, no people. He's saying, even in this situation, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He's not saying be happy even if you you have nothing, be happy if people are going through famines. He's not saying that. What he's getting at is this, our situation in life, and I don't diminish anyone's difficulty. I don't look down upon anyone's circumstance. I don't minimize the struggle that you are in right now. I don't do that, and I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. That no matter what we might be going through, it is secondary only to the primary joy that is in Christ Jesus. Only to the primary source of joy of knowing that God is in control despite all of this. Despite things not working out, despite the loss, despite the hardship, what is primary is that God is in control, that God is sovereign. And because He is, That's our source of joy. We can laugh and we can sing and we can be exuberant and joyful at all times and in all places because God is sovereign. Friends, the sovereignty of God is our joy. You know, last week, Pastor Scott mentioned it very briefly, but it was a joyful time. There was so much fun and there was so much laughter and the kids were crazy, Paul was manning the jump station, and I don't know how he did it for like four hours because these kids were like, like half the time, I'm like, liability, liability, stop, we're going to get sued. (laughs) Whole time, but then the kids like, they they bounce next to each other, but they don't run into each other. They're very like spatially aware, but I was scared, and, and for the first half hour, and then Paul's just like relaxed because he's been it. He's been there, he's seen it, and so he's just calm, and I'm like, okay, okay, I can relax. But last Sunday, it was a blessed time. So much joy, so many parents are sharing how happy their kids were. You know, some kids were t- throwing tantrums because they wanted to stay longer and, and crying, and, and they just wanted the party to go on and on and on. And during last Sunday, during the message, And during the event, a thought crossed my mind. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking, do you think it was the sovereign will of God to harden the heart of the person who would not renew you guys' lease five years ago in order to pull you guys here and create this joyful event so that kids our kids and the community kids and North Hill kids come together and celebrate on that day. Do you think it was God's sovereign will six, five, six years ago when that happened, when the lease did not get renewed, that God planned that, organized that, was in charge of that? Not to say that good things didn't happen in the last five years, but, you know, so that We can combine with North Hills to do this blessed event. This is why I say the sovereignty of God is our joy because it just blows my mind to think that how could God orchestrate all this? But he does. And so much more because he is sovereign, because he is in authority, because he is in control. Friends, it's not just simply when things are going good that we are joyful, but it's because God is in control. When I went to seminary, I I went to APU simply because Google says it's the top Christian college of Southern California, but also because I prayed and I felt like God was calling me there. And so I obeyed. I went. And if you don't know about this, like seminary is expensive. It's a private institution. FAFSA does not support seminary. And I looked at the price and I'm like, uh... God, you're gonna, if you want me to go there, you're going to have to provide a way. You're going to have to find a way to pay for this. And also, I just blamed it on God, and, and I went. And when I got to seminary, turns out there's this Kern Foundation. This guy, Generac Motors, Bob and Pat Kern, back in 2000 during Y2K when we were buying sewing machines and pallets of rice, his generator company went hundreds of millions of dollars worth, and so he sold it at that time, donated $113 million to the Kern Foundation to support pastors and pay for their seminary. I didn't know this. And when I went, they're like, hey, why don't you apply for the Kern Foundation? And so I did, and I got a full ride. And I think back on it, I'm like, did God have me come here because he knew I was poor and I didn't have any money for seminary? Like, I I don't know. But that's what I'm talking about. There is so much of God's timing, God's leading, God's action in our life. Sometimes we just simply need to look back and be reminded that God is in control. And that despite what we're going through, not to minimize our difficulties and struggles, we can be joyful even today. Because God's sovereignty is our joy in life. Secondly, God's sovereignty cultivates a hopeful heart. God's sovereignty cultivates a hopeful heart. You know, one of the questions I had um, when I was reading the book of Ruth was this. There's two daughter-in-laws, right? Orpah and Ruth. Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws, you know, hey, go back to your families, and I'm just going to go back to my land. Orpah, okay, I'll just leave you alone, and she goes back. But Ruth doesn't. And I wondered, why would Ruth go with Naomi back to a foreign land? And, and, and my, my brokenness automatically thought, was she in a bad household situation? Was she like Cinderella? Was her dad abusive or were her sisters, you know, mean to her? Did she have a bad childhood? Did she not, you know, a bad house environment that she didn't want to go back? She'd rather go with this foreign lady, her mother-in-law, than go back home. Is that what was going on? And I thought about this, and I wondered, because we're not told. Now, in chapter 2, here's something very interesting. As she goes to Bethlehem with Naomi, she goes into the field, she gleans some grain... And we know that Boaz shows kindness and generosity to her. And she asks the question, hey, why are you showing me all this kindness and generosity? And in verse 12, this is what Boaz says. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. Not me, Boaz, but the Lord. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth didn't leave her land, her father's house her nation because she was in a bad situation. She didn't leave it because she felt sorry for Naomi. Rather, she made a conscious choice. She made a decision. On the one hand, she could place her hope in her dad, her family, her relatives, her social network, her her community, her friends. Or, on the other hand, she could place her hope in God. She could place her trust in God. She could place her life in the hands of God who, if we genuinely believe that God is sovereign, is able to take care of us, is able to provide for us, is able to nurture us, is able to deliver us, and is able to save us. See, Ruth isn't just leaving behind her family because she doesn't like them or it's a bad situation. Rather, she's placing her hope and trust in God. See, because the sovereignty of God, Him standing in all power and authority, cultivates a hopeful heart in us. Because God can do all things, we're hopeful. Because God stands in all power, we're hopeful. Because God is in authority, we're hopeful, despite what our situation might look like. I was reminded of a farming village before modern irrigation. And this farming village back then, there was a drought for months on end. There was no water. And it was almost time where the crops were about to die. So the pastor of the community gathers and says, hey, let's pray. Let's pray tonight and pray for rain. And, of course, as you probably know this story, all the people show up, but nobody brings an umbrella. They believe God is in power. They believe God can do all things. They they. Do it, but nobody prepares for it. No, nobody really expects God to do it. Friends. Prayer. Prayer. I believe that prayer, our prayer life, is the genuine test of God's sovereignty, whether we believe it or not. Think about it. If we genuinely believe that God is sovereign, then should we not pray? If we believe that He is able and can do all things, then should we not pray? Should we not cry out for our needs, cry out for what we seek? Do you think that God can't heal you of your brokenness? Do you think God cannot separate you from the sin that you've been committing habitually? Do you think God cannot revitalize your life? Do you think God cannot revitalize your marriage? Do you think God cannot revitalize your children? Do you think God cannot redeem your family members or your friends or your community? Do you not think that God can do And if we do believe that God can, then the question is, do we pray that He will? One of the things I love about our church is that we do pray. The staff members, every Tuesday, every Friday, we pray. Even on Sundays, the prayer team, they pray. And I love it because even this morning, they're praying for the message and the worship. And I love that because it teaches me and it shows me that they don't have confidence in the pastors but in God. Not that that you shouldn't have competent pastors. Okay, competence versus confidence. Okay, two very different things, okay? Competence, you know, they're, they're good at what they do. But confidence, it's in our God. Our confidence is not in in me or or Pastor Scott or Daniel, Pastor Daniel, or Pastor Casey. No, not at all. Our confidence is in God. That's why we have hope. Because it's in God who is able. Friends, (coughs) prayer meetings. I'm telling you. And prayer meetings is where hope gets refined and joy gets established. I thought about this a lot. You know, I thought about a plug for our prayer meeting on Sunday. And and here's my plug. I, I put in a lot of thought in this, okay? This is for church members. If you're a church member at Rooftop, this is for you. If you're visiting, you know, I encourage it. But this is for church members, people who are members of Rooftop. I thought about this a lot. How can I encourage you to go to prayer meeting on Sundays, right? This is my ask. This is my plug. Once a year... On the week of your birthday, come early and attend. Once a year. Just once a year. We have tons of members. And so if everyone comes once a year, then one person is always visiting prayer meeting at least. And if you want to do double portion, bring your spouse. Yes. That means twice a year, right? Friends. I get it. I get it. Prayer life can be hard. And to pray for something day in and day out and for it not to be fulfilled is rough. I mean, you could pray for something that's deeply in your heart. You could pray for something that's godly. You could pray for something that would honor God. But if you pray for it for year after year after year and it doesn't happen, then what? How do you keep praying? How do you continue? How do you not grow weak in faith? How do you not get jaded? You know, in my mid-twenties, I, I grew up in elementary years in church, and then, like, upper elementary, I just hooked a hard left and, and just wandered far. My mid-twenties. I mean, my mom's been praying for me all my life, but I remember in my mid-twenties, I was really far away from God. And my Jaganapa, my blessed jaganappa, uh, that's for non-Korean speaking, that's, that's a bad way of saying My, my uncle. Okay, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Oh, my gosh. This is why I should have done better in, in Korean school when I was a little kid. I didn't, though. But my, my dad's brother, middle brother, convinces my dad and his, his younger brother to meet every Saturday at his house to pray for me. And they met. For two years, they met and prayed. For two years, they met and prayed every Saturday. Every Saturday. For me, they didn't tell me to go to church. They didn't try to evangelize. They didn't try to do all. They did was pray, and I genuinely believe that the only reason I'm saved now is because they continued to pray and pray, and God was gracious and answered their prayer. Friends, God can save. God can redeem. God can deliver. God can because He. Stands in all power and authority because God is sovereign this is why we pray we go to him who can who is able as Psalm 62 says for God alone oh my soul wait in silence for my hope is from him hope proceeds from God He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Friends, God's sovereignty is our source of joy. It cultivates a hopeful heart. And finally, it's our comfort in life. You know, at the end of chapter 2, Ruth, this is wild, Ruth gleans 22 liters of grain. Think about the 2-liter Coke bottle. She gleans, she gathers 11 Coke bottles of grain, and she's like, I just imagine, like, Santa Claus, like, she's just walking home to a mother-in-law, like, look at all this grain I got. And her mother's like, what? What happened? And Ruth begins to tell Naomi, her mother-in-law, all that took place and all that happened. And this is what Naomi says. She says in Ruth 2.20, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living Or the dead. May he be blessed by the Lord. Naomi is saying, May Boaz be blessed by the Lord. And he's saying, Whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And she's saying, God's kindness, God's mercy, God's goodness has not forsaken the living and the dead. And in other words, what she's saying is, Look, all of that happened because God is sovereign. All of that took place because God is sovereign. God has not forsaken us. God has not abandoned us. God has not done away with us. God remembered us and took care of us. That is what she is saying. That is why the sovereignty of God is our comfort. To say it differently, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Friends... God, God is sovereign, and he is in control. But it's just not some ideology or theology. Rather, it's very practical for our lives. It's our source of joy. It's our, it's our, it's our source of joy. It's our source of hope. It's our source of comfort. Friends, that's what the sovereignty of God is. It's what builds us and makes us. You know, I want to close with this story of a widow and the atheist. A woman loses her husband, and she's not working. She's old. And, and every month, her bank account's going lower and lower and lower. She doesn't have a job, and she's running out of food. And, and she lives downstairs, and she's always praying day in, day out, God, please. Provide for me. Please take care of me. God, I'm hungry. I need food. Help me. Atheist above always listens and says, you know, this is, you know, why God doesn't exist. He's not even taking care of you. He's not real. He's not going to look after you. Day in, day out, this widow is praying, God, help me. God, I need your help. I need your support. You know, repo man comes, takes the car away because she's not making the payments. You know, uh, the people, they come take the furniture away because she's not making the payments. Day in, day out, she's praying, God, help me. I'm hungry. God, help me. I need you. One day, the atheist decides, let me play a trick on this woman. So he goes out, buys all this food, puts it on her doorstep, knocks on the door, jumps in the bushes. Widow opens the door, and she sees all the food. She's like, oh, praise God. God is gracious. God is good. God has delivered me. God has provided for me. So she's singing songs and praising God. And the atheist jumps out of the bush like, ha ha, your God doesn't live. He doesn't exist. He doesn't care about you. It's like, she's like, no, no, no. Praise God. God bought me all this food. God brought this food. God took care of me. And the atheist is like, no, he didn't. He didn't do it. I did it. I did it just to play a trick on you, he says. And the woman says, praise God. God's so good. God took care of me. God delivered me. God saved me. And the atheist was like, no, don't you get it, you dummy? I bought it. I put it there just to make a joke out of you. And then she says, God did it. God did it. And she made the devil pay for it. And he made the devil pay for it. Oh, my gosh. I missed the punchline. (laughs) Friends, sometimes in life, the bad things, the good things... I don't know why they happen in the sovereignty of God. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I don't know why good things happen to bad people. Uh, But what I do know is that God is sovereign, and he stands in all power and authority. And though sometimes it might be a mystery for us, we do know that God is in control, continually moving and working, even if we don't see it, even in our wanderings.